This story isn't unique to the royal family. It's a story that exists everywhere across time and socioeconomic circumstances and backgrounds. The history of disabled people is fraught with being unseen, hidden, sequestered, banished, and ignored. This story is just one story. It might feel like it's far away from you because most of us will never experience the wealth and privilege and pressure of being part of a monarchy. A lot more of us will experience the abandonment, prejudice, and loneliness of disability. And nearly all of us will at some point contribute to it, even without meaning to. And some of us will do it knowingly. If we are going to specifically talk about the British monarchy, then you'll need a little bit of a primer. We won't have to go too far back, though. Just about the turn of the century. Now, Queen Elizabeth II, who's the current queen, was the daughter of King George and the Queen Mother Elizabeth, who was also called the Queen Mum. Now, the Queen Mother was born into nobility, and then she married into the royal family. Her father was a lord and later an earl. Now, the relevant member of her family is actually her brother, John. You could say the current queen's Uncle Johnny, or Jock, which was apparently his nickname. John actually died when Queen Elizabeth was still a child, and her sister Margaret actually hadn't even been born yet. But Jock had married into another member of British nobility, Fenella, who was the daughter of a baron. And they had five daughters, who were therefore technically Queen Elizabeth's cousins. Two of the daughters are at the center of this story, Nerissa and Catherine. Nerissa was one of the middle girls, and she was born in 1919. Catherine was the youngest, and she was born in 1926. At the time, no one outside the family knew that the girls were disabled. The exact nature is unclear, but it's been speculated that they had a genetic disorder, and as a result, they were unable to ever be able to safely live independently. In 1963, Burke's Peerage, which is a publication that sort of gives a rundown of the current members of the British peerage, listed both daughters as having died. Now, John and Fenella had lost their first baby when they were still in infancy, so perhaps no one questioned it when two more of the children also appeared to have died, although they were older. People were still dying of communicable diseases at that point in history, and these diseases did not spare people who were rich. And anyone who knew the family, indeed, had not actually seen these girls for quite some time, maybe even as long as a decade. The truth, though, was that both Nerissa and Catherine were very much alive. In the early 1940s, both of the girls had been placed in Earlswood Hospital, which was an asylum. Now, neither girl had ever learned how to talk, and there are few accounts of them up until their deaths, which actually took place in 1986 and 2004. No one ever visited, and other than the hospital fee, they received no money from their family. Around the time of Nerissa's death in the 80s, people started digging into the story a little bit more. One of the things that kind of got people up in arms about this in the 80s was that by that point, many members of the British royal family, including the Queen Mum, had patronages devoted to mental health. So once the secret had become exposed and it was revealed that Nerissa had been buried in an unmarked grave, the family did decide to get a headstone for her rather than have her grave just be marked with a serial number. But they never paid for any of the funeral expenses, and in, f and in fact, nobody attended the funeral except for the staff at the hospital, who by that point had probably become the women's de facto family anyway. 
Their true family had essentially seemed to have forsaken them. There were no holiday greetings or birthday cards. Nerissa and Catherine were dead to them. Now, Queen Elizabeth II was a child and a young monarch when all of this was really taking place. And people kind of didn't feel like she should have done something to stop it at the time. But it was later on when people discovered the truth that people began to wonder if she had ever known about it. Or rather, how could she possibly have not known about it? Particularly while the Queen Mum was still alive. And at this point, it started to put a bitter taste in people's mouths about the extended members of the royal family. It then came to light that Nerissa and Catherine had been joined at Earlswood by several other cousins who had similar ailments. In 2011, there was a documentary about the sisters, and this seemed to push members of the extended family kind of to their limit. And some of them at that point, and people who knew the family, claimed that the girls had always stayed part of the family. They were not written off, which is how it had been portrayed. But the hospital didn't have any records of visits or money or even communication. So then there came Netflix's take on the royals, The Crown. And this brought the story to the forefront again and actually weaved it in as a pretty major plot point in the fourth season. It also brought up the theory that many people had kind of assumed had driven the decision to hide the sisters away, but that people weren't really talking about. And that was that there was a fear, perhaps, within the royal family, the insular royal family, that the public would question the purity of the lineage if it was known that members had mental illnesses or disabilities, even though Nerissa and Catherine were far from being the first, nor the last. Now, The Crown is fiction, but sometimes it feels like it's not straying that far from the truth. There are plenty of accounts now that the Queen Mum had actually known the truth about what happened to the girls and may have even selected her patronages based on the knowledge maybe is a way of offering penance. Even though it was common knowledge at that point that the sisters were alive for like 40 years after they were said to be dead, nobody ever corrected the records. And therefore, later generations continued to try to offer explanations or excuses. For example, that their mother had just filled out the forms wrong and accidentally declared them dead when they weren't. And then conspiracy theorists suggested that Queen Elizabeth II was actually John's daughter and that she had been switched because the Queen Mum had given birth to a disabled child who was not going to be able to become queen. The thing is, it's easy to say that the controversy here is that it happened in a high-profile family. Maybe that's why it made the tabloids, but it's not like it's unique. If you look beyond the walls of palaces and into the windows of your community, maybe behind the door of your own family's closet, you'll see that this story has played out again and again and again. But the truth is, we don't really know what went into that decision, and this is true no matter whether you're looking at the royal family or somebody you know in your community or somebody in your own family. The one thing that does stand out is that if a family that had all the resources in the world, the wealth and the power, to have been able to potentially been able to make a different choice, and that was the choice they made, then maybe prejudice was what reigned. But for a lot of people, even back then and today, the choice is far more complex than that. It's easy to pass judgment if you've never been in that circumstance, but for many people, it's a combination of factors. It's a combination of a lack of knowledge of what to do and a lack of resources with which to do those things. There's also fear and there's also prejudice. And all of those things go into making decisions that ultimately will change somebody's life and may even, in some cases, attempt to erase their life. <laughs> 